traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Welcome to the Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. Welcome to Radio Free Canada news notes and opinions from the underground for Thursday, Feb 24th in the year of our Lord, 2022. Putin is the aggressor. Putin chose this war. And now he and his country will bear the consequences. Today, I'm authorizing additional strong sanctions and new limitations on what can be exported to Russia. This is going to impose severe costs on the Russian economy, both immediately and over time. We have purposely designed these sanctions to maximize the long-term impact on Russia and to minimize the impact on the United States and our allies. There you go. They wheeled the dummy out of his basement to read this script. Bravo. Bravo, President Joe Burisma Biden. I know the people of Ukraine are resting easy at this hour, knowing that the British Prime Minister, Build Back Boris, has lit up number 10, 10 Downing Street, in the colors of the Ukrainian flag. And uh, several prominent members of the Liberal cabinet posted selfies of themselves holding cardboard signs reading, we stand with Ukraine. I'm sure millions of wokesters are surveying their, their woke friends about what clever hashtag they should use on social media to, to best express their heartfelt solidarity with the people of Ukraine. Do we go with hashtag, we are all Ukrainians? Oh, that's so powerful. Or do we go with hashtag freedom for Ukraine? Yes, that's the one. That's going to convince Putin he needs to retreat. And you got to love all of the lefties on TV, on CNN, who absolutely hate the Second Amendment and the idea of Americans defending themselves. Suddenly, all of these lefties are cheering the Ukrainian people on and encouraging them to pick up their arms. Every citizen is a arm yourself. 
defend Ukraine. But what's really keeping Putin up tonight, walking the floors of the Kremlin, are these words from our crime minister. I think Vladimir Putin has uh, come to believe that he can lie with impunity, that he can violate international law with impunity, and that he can do whatever he wants in the interests of the Russian state. And what we are demonstrating with this strong, united response is that is simply not true. That democracies can and will push back against autocracies. That's rich. That's really rich. Gropy blackface calling out Putin for his lies. There's a word for that. It's called projection, ladies and gentlemen, when you accuse others of what you do. So we here we have our inveterate liar, gropey blackface, someone who uses thuggish cops to beat down protesters, who uses creepy and illegal powers to freeze bank accounts. And he's going to call out Vladimir Putin as an autocrat, as a tyrant. Trudeau needs to sit this one out. Just sit in a corner and stifle Cupcake. So here's the level of stupidity in the uh, Biden camp. Here is former Secretary of State John Kerry, now the climate czar. Here he is talking about the real tragedy of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Sure, people will die, he says, but what about climate change? I'm very concerned about, I'm concerned about Ukraine because of the people of Ukraine and because of the principles that are at risk uh, in terms of international law and trying to change boundaries of international law by force. Uh, I thought we lived in a world that had said no to that kind of activity. And I hope diplomacy will win. But massive uh, emissions consequences to the war. But equally importantly, you're going to lose people's focus. You're going to lose certainly big country attention because they will be diverted, and, and uh, I think it could have a damaging impact. So, you know, I think hopefully President Putin would realize that in the northern part of his country, they used to live on 66% of a nation that was over frozen land. Now it's thawing, and his infrastructure is at risk, and the people of Russia are at risk. And so I hope President Putin will help us to stay on track with respect to what we need to do for the climate. Yeah, sure, people will die, yada, 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 et cetera, et cetera. But what about the climate? Let me say something here about the climate change cultists, like this character, John Kerry, and those climate change cultists right here in Canada. You made the decision very easy for Putin to invade Ukraine. Yes, you. Think about it now. What's Western Europe going to do? Germany gets 70% of their natural gas from Russia. And why does Germany get natu- need natural gas from Russia? Because Germany outsourced their foreign policy to some teenage Nordic brat, Greta, what's her name? And Germany and Canada swallowed the green suicide pill. Germany mothballed their nuclear plants and their diesel and gas power generating plants because they believed the sun and the wind would provide sufficient power to 80 million people. What a mess. So Germany now needs to import natural gas from Russia. Germany has no leverage. 
Now, Canada could have stepped in and said, Germany, Western Europe, uh, Germany and Western Europe, we can sell you our natural gas. And then you can tell Putin to fly a kite. But no, we have no pipelines. We have a government that wants to destroy our oil and gas industry. We can't even get our natural gas to the east or west coast in order to ship it. So all you climate change cultists in this country, you're complicit. Our climate change cultists, this is partially, at least, on you. So we're going to dedicate most of the show to Russia, Ukraine, obviously. Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis will be here once again with his analysis. U.S. conservative commentator, author, podcaster Drew Allen will also be here to talk about how Putin is taking advantage of Biden's weakness. This never would have happened on Trump's watch. So sure, Ukrainians are dying, but at least we don't have to read 45's mean tweets. That's a fair trade-off. Also in the second hour, uh, moving on to uh, other matters. Big news out of Germany. That country's biggest insurance company is worried. They're getting a lot of insurance claims for COVID vaccine adverse events, injuries. Kelly Brown, data analyst from Rubicon Capital, will be here to explain. Thursdays, we discuss radical gender ideology. Linda Blade from COSBAR, that's Canadian Women's Sex-Based Rights, will be here. She's also co-author of Unsporting, How Trans Activism and Science Denial Are Destroying Sport. Uh, this hour, we'll talk Russia-Ukraine as well. I'll speak with a Polish writer, translator, living in Warsaw about the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine and how Poland, which neighbors Ukraine, is stepping up to take in Ukrainian refugees. Uh, I got a minute here. Um, I want to play something else. Jacob, if you could find that Trump clip, that Trump clip. I, this is uh, instructive. Remember, if you, uh, during Trump's presidency, he went to a NATO meeting and he raked them over the coals because, first of all, Germany and France, they weren't paying their fair share. NATO was uh, being funded primarily by the United States. And here he is, Trump, complaining, one, that they're not paying their share, and two, they're asking the United States to protect them from Russia. Meanwhile, they're buying their natural gas from Russia. Can you play that for me, Jacob, right now? I think uh, it's very sad when Germany makes a massive oil and gas deal with Russia where you're supposed to be guarding against Russia and Germany goes out and pays billions and billions of dollars a year to Russia. So we're protecting Germany, we're protecting France, we're protecting all of these countries. And then numerous of the countries go out and make a pipeline deal with Russia where they're paying billions of dollars into the coffers of Russia. So we're supposed to protect you against Russia, but they're paying billions of dollars to Russia. And I think that's very inappropriate. And the former chancellor of Germany is the head of the pipeline company that's supplying the gas. Uh, ultimately, Germany will have almost 70% of their country controlled by Russia with natural gas. So you tell me, is that appropriate? I mean, I've been complaining about this from the time I got in. It should have never been allowed to have happened. But Germany is totally controlled by Russia. 
because they will be getting from 60 to 70 percent of their energy from Russia and a new pipeline. And you tell me if that's appropriate, because I think it's not. And I think it's a very bad thing for NATO, and I don't think it should have happened. And I think we have to talk to Germany about it. At the time, of course, all Trump's critics were saying he's tearing NATO apart. No, he was speaking the plain truth. And once again, 45 is proven correct. All right. Um, First up, you know, I'm sure Trudeau is clicking his heels that the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine will distract Canadians from the total disaster of his emergency act, which he suddenly revoked just 48 hours after holding a confidence vote to extend it. Oh, I was just kidding, I guess is what he was thinking. So what happened? Did Trudeau, Trudeau see some really bad polls? Was there a run on the banks after creepy Christia Freeland announced she was freezing protesters and supporters' bank accounts? Was it uh, the Senate? Daniel Boardman, senior correspondent from the National Telegraph is next. The Richard Serrett Show off and running for Thursday, Feb 24th. Keep your stick on the ice. We're back as the Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Irony deficiency of our uh, radical left-wing premier, Dougie Ford. It's just, if it weren't so tragic, it would be um, funny. So on the one hand, he tweets out, you know, the usual the usual uh, cliches. We, the people of Ontario stand with the Ukrainians and we stand for freedom and we stand against authoritarianism. Uh, moments later, Ontario announces they're shutting down a bunch of trucking companies, seizing a bunch of trucks, no trial, no court, no appeal. <laughs> what the hell? All right. Um, so like less than 48 hours, I think it was, after Trudeau held a confidence vote. Boy, did he hang the NDP out to dry. Totally played them. So he holds his confidence vote on extending the Emergencies Act. And then 48 hours later, it's like, oh, I was just kidding. So what the hell happened? What happened? Was there a run on the bank? Was, uh, I don't know, did creepy Christia Freeland get a call from the uh, International Monetary Fund saying, yeah, we talk about doing this stuff, you know, in private. We don't, we don't say it out loud. What are you doing? Was Trudeau concerned about how the vote would go in the Senate? Did he see some bad polling numbers? Here to help us uh, figure this out is Daniel Boardman, senior contributor for the National Telegraph. Do yourself a favor, get on up to uh, visit the National Telegraph, and we have to support our independent media in this country. It, they are all we have, folks. Hey, Daniel, welcome. How are you? Thanks, Richard, for bringing, bringing me back on. And I think you hit on a lot of the stuff there. I mean, the three reasons uh, being put out is, uh, one, the bank run, which is very real. There are people withdrawing their money from the banks, and that definitely puts some pressure on Trudeau. Um, I don't think the Senate would have opposed this. The Canadian Senate is useless. We might as well be in the Canadian Senate for how useful it is. So I, I don't really think they were the last bastion of democracy that was going to stand up to anything. Um there are enough far left activists on there to, to get more than 50%. Uh, the polling data is, is the fascinating one. And that's kind of what I've been going after is 
all the polling data you're looking at is flawed. All the time it's flawed and it's intentionally flawed to build narratives. And the 48 hour time window, I always tweet about it and talk about it because that's how often it takes polling companies to correct bad data when situations on the ground change. So if you look at how the polls were conducted in favor of the Emergency Act to begin with, you're getting a number that about 65% of Canadians disagreed or you know, disagreed with the protests and wanted the Emergencies Act. However, if you look at all the major polling companies, they all start their list of polls, right? It's always a questionnaire. And question one is always meant to be more of a statement and less of a question. And question one is always phrased in a way that makes the truckers the bad guys. So it's like, do you support Justin Trudeau's measures to clear out the alt-right occupation of Ottawa funded by foreign dark money that's made of evil people? It's true. It's true. Right? The question is essentially telling people, Bad people support the truckers. Are you a bad person? And then 65% of people said, no, I'm not a bad person. Then that colors how you respond to everything else down the list because it's framed as an occupation. Okay. So this is problem number one is you're getting a false number of 65%. Now, humans are naturally herd animals. All, all animals are. So people feel more comfortable in the majority. So when you tell people 65% of people support something, they're more likely to support it themselves. Whereas if you were to say, well, 49% was the number you got to, they never be able to make that public. Cause if you say 49%, the, the support will actually crash because it's not the popular opinion. It's all so, a psyop. Yeah. It's essentially, a, it's a psyop, right? So it's the media is in bed with the polling companies and polling companies are in bed with the federal government. The big problem is the Conservative Party is also in bed with the polling companies and they're in bed with the Liberal polling companies. So they're using flawed data created by their political enemies to influence their decisions. And the Conservative parties are even more beholden to the polls that are in bed with the Liberal company, the Liberal Party, than the Liberals are, which is the maddening thing. And it's why you never see Conservative politicians react to a situation within the first 48 hours, right? It took them 48 hours to get behind the line of, um, you know, and the mandates when the polling companies are saying, oh, it would be political suicide if the, if the conservatives step out and back the convoy. Well, it turns out once they did, their numbers went up because it was a flawed notion to begin with. So you had Justin Trudeau sell the Emergencies Act on this sort of 65% number, which is totally concocted by his own polling companies. The Conservative Party didn't fight this for another 48 hours, right? You saw they didn't start fighting the Emergencies Act for another 48 hours because they had to wait for their input. Like, it's so insane that Pierre Pauly have had like, to wait. Like, uh, pardon the Act. interruption. Um, uh, Daniel, but the uh, the conservatives didn't didn't fight or say boo about the mandates for two years. Yeah, under O'Toole, which is even like O'Toole O'Toole wasn't the opposition, right? So once they got out the O'Toole problem and can't, and they have someone quote unquote good in Candace Bergen, it it delayed the response time to never opposing the Liberals because they're so afraid to let's re let's reevaluate every two days. Which, for, for what it's worth, I, I know that's a weird step up. So you have the conservatives who now will take 48 hours to talk to their own constituents. Like, do you believe giving Justin Trudeau dictatorial powers to seize people's bank accounts is bad? And then when they saw, oh, the conservative party does think that's bad and we have to sort of stand on that, they do. So it was a 48 hour time delay. You then have what happened is Trudeau enacts the Emergencies Act and starts beating up peaceful protesters, bank accounts getting seized. So it makes it much harder to then frame the question because people now see what's going on. Like once things actually happen on the ground, you it's much harder to frame it as the alt-right evil truckers, blah, 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 right? With Justin Trudeau's benign act, you couldn't frame it as benign anymore. So it was actually people were talking about the Emergencies Act based on, okay, asset seizures, crack uh, violence against peaceful protesters, police checkpoints everywhere, right? Down old women with walkers. 
<laughs> yeah, running, yeah, running over old women with walkers with horses. So if you saw that, right, then the the numbers started to change because people saw the, the truth of the quest. Then when the act was actually invoked and there was no one on the streets of Ottawa, right, 48 hours later, like all the, it turns out most Canadians are actually opposed to all of this. So then they had to reverse course. And you you hit on the best part of the entire thing is the NDP look like complete idiots um, for, for going along with this to begin with. And, you know, hopefully this is the end of Jagmeet Singh uh, and his career. But, you know, I, I never put anything past the NDP to find something stupider to do. We've got to take a quick time out. Uh, can you hang with us for another segment? Of course. Good man. Daniel Boardman, senior contributor to the National Telegraph, thenationaltelegraph.com, thenationaltelegraph.com. Again, support independent media. Back with more in a moment. Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's the Richard Serra Show. Boardman, senior correspondent for the National Telegraph, stays with us. And uh, just again, a, a quick plug for the National Telegraph. Support independent media. Visit the nationaltelegraph.com is the website, the nationaltelegraph.com. Um, so we were talking about, you know, what caused Trudeau to do a complete uh, 180 on the Emergencies Act, uh, less than 48 hours, I think it was, after uh, getting, the, getting the House of Commons to vote, a confidence vote on extending the, uh, the Emergencies Act. Uh, we talked earlier about the um, about Canadians doing a run on the bank and asking for their deposits. I mean, do we have any hard data to suggest that that in fact happened, or is that is that speculation hearsay? What do we know about that, Daniel? So I did hear that about eight million dollars was frozen in assets, and um, you know, it, I can't call every Canadian and say, "Oh, they're they're taking their money out." But I know Tom Maraza, who was one of the organizers who had his accounts frozen. You know, I spoke to him about this and he's taking his money out of the bank. I assume everyone else who got their accounts frozen taken out of the bank. I, I mean, I have an op-ed coming out in National Telegraph. I, I wrote it. It will probably come drop in an hour or so about this very thing of. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Um, this is not good. More economically damaging than all the blockades put together is the freezing of assets. Like, it's not just the bank run. It's who in their right mind would invest a dime in Canada these days, especially half of Americans who voted for Trump when our justice minister is saying, oh, if you're pro-Trump, we're going to seize your money. It's crazy, right? Even communist dictatorships don't seize or are very hesitant to seize assets like this because they don't want to deter foreign investment. So Trudeau didn't start at the top of a slippery slope. He started at the bottom, right? Uh, so 
how, how are Canadians supposed to feel comfortable with, with their money in the banks now? Like, if you supported the convoy, are you going to feel comfortable? Like, how can you convince them to keep their money in the bank if they donated to the convoy, um, if they supported the convoy? If you're a pro-life Canadian, right? The government has already, Trudeau has been very, very, very rhetorically against pro-life Canadians, and he's even barred them from getting foreign funding. Is it crazy to assume that he'll go one step further and actually start to financially attack pro-life groups? Like that was a crazy thought to say a year ago, but how do you talk to a pro-life Canadian who thinks that might be a problem uh, and to keep their money in the bank? So people are taking their money out of the bank for good reason. And the reason is the Canadian financial institutions cannot be trusted to keep your money safe um, if you are seen to be a dissenter of the Canadian government's ideology. Right. They just completely rolled over on that one. Didn't even, you know, didn't even attempt to defend their depositors. Now, we know, uh, Daniel, that, uh, you know, our our measly deposits at the bank uh, mean really very little to the TD and the Royal Bank. However, uh, if enough people show up at a particular branch uh, and they don't have all of the money on hand, and, and uh, then they have to call head office, and that's kind of embarrassing, I suppose, for them. But I guess it, it's kind of ironic that thanks to um, thanks to fractional reserve banking, I mean, that may have led uh, to this embarrassing situation for the banks. They didn't have enough of the deposits on hand, and so that may have contributed to uh, Trudeau reversing that position. But do you think also that maybe Christia got a, a, a stern talking to from someone, I don't know, at the IMF? It very well could have happened. I mean, I I, I don't monitor Christopher Freeland's phones. I think that kind of works in the opposite in, in, in Western Asia. don't. They, they might know who I'm calling. I don't know who they're calling. Um, I would not rule it out that someone in the banking sector kind of started to look at the numbers and said, oh, guys, what the hell did we do? Um, this is like, I am not a try Trudeau for treason, send him to the ICC guy, but if there aren't severe consequences or legitimate consequences for what Justin Trudeau and Christopher Freeland did and what the banks did here, there's going to be major long-term ramifications in terms of foreign investment and Canadian investment in, in Canada. Like this is going to do more damage than all the blockades put together economically. If I were the banks or I was in charge or like, you know, if I was appointed King of Canada tomorrow to fix this, I would say the banks need to apologize, need to um, pay re reparations to everyone whose accounts are frozen, like $10,000 each or something, and then sign a letter in writing saying, we did it, we are sorry, we will never do it again. And Justin Trudeau and Christopher Freeland should face civil action for what they did, or at the very least, have the humility to resign for what they did. Um, but what they did is is criminal in charter violations, and it's severe enough to destroy the country long term. Like it's not as scary as we're being bombed by Russia right now, but it's just as serious. No one's going to invest in this country because half of the world is smart enough to not have any confidence putting their money here. And that's a complete 180 from how Canada was viewed just three, three four years ago. 100%. Hundred percent. And now Trudeau has announced, yes, there will be an inquiry, but it's not an inquiry about you know you know why he was wrong to invoke the Emergencies Act or to investigate whether it was justified. Uh, basically, he's going to turn it into an inquiry as to uh, you know why you bad people made me do this. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be it's going to be probably run by Mark Carney and Gerald Butts as an independent <laughs> committee committee, and there we're going to be forced to like to just believe that that Gerald Butts and Mark Carney are going to run an independent investigation onto, onto the Emergencies Act and why the truckers are bad. 
and the media is going to pretend like it, it, it is this and the gaslighting will continue. The gaslighting will make people mad. It will keep the movement up. People will continue to withdraw their money from the banks as Trudeau doesn't apologize. Like the bank run is going to continue until Trudeau says, I was wrong about this. I'm sorry. I'll never do it again because there is nothing I can say to, you know, at least 40 percent of the country to make them feel confident that their money will stay in the bank next week. Right, Daniel, uh, great work uh, as always. And uh, to everyone over at the National Telegraph, keep doing what you're doing. TheNationalTelegraph.com. Thank you, Daniel. We'll talk again soon, I hope. Thanks so much for having me. Daniel Boardman. All right, when we come back on uh, Thursdays, we push back against radical gender ideology. Linda Blade is next. You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 AM. You know, it's live radio, and uh, as, a, as a host, you're always trying to stay a couple of steps ahead of uh, everything. And uh, so I misspoke there. I said Linda Blade was coming up next to push back against radical gender ideology. Uh, and she will be coming up next, but not this segment. Uh, right now, we've reached out to uh, Warsaw, Poland, uh, to get um, a report on the uh, Russian aggression against Ukraine, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Adam Borowski is uh, joining us live on the line from Warsaw. He's a Polish-English translator. He has a master's in international relations, and um, he's a journalist, and also uh, he's working on a, um, a piece of fiction, a, an alternate reality novel. Adam Borowski, welcome. Hey, Richard. Great to talk to you again. Thanks you are, for having me. My pleasure. You're in Warsaw now as we speak? Yes, I am. All right. So um, Poland is on the border with, uh, with Ukraine. If I'm not yes, mistaken. that's, that's right. Yes, it's right on the border. Yes, I'm about uh, several hours, I guess, from Kiev. If you drove there, pretty close. Yeah, right. It's like another state. Yeah. Um, and is the Polish army on on high alert? What, what's happening? Yeah, they are on high alert, but you don't really see it. Uh, I, I guess some reservists are being called uh, called up, but uh, apart from that, you don't really see a panic or anything like that. Uh, but yes, people are definitely vigilant, and uh, there is U.S. Army presence here. What you have, you have near the uh, Ukrainian border, you have U.S. troops right now, and they're waiting uh, for potential moves by by Russia. And uh, what about Ukrainian refugees? Are they pouring across the border now into Poland? Not yet. What you have with you refugees here from Ukraine you have an interesting situation because you have about two million of them already here in Poland. But the second wave, we expect even up to five million in the worst case scenario. For now, it's still quite, uh, quite, you know, quite peaceful, but it's going to change really fast, probably. Uh, but for now, it's uh, just singular cases of refugees for now. But it's probably going to change really, really soon. You say you, have, you already have two million Ukrainian refugees. Yes. Why? Why? Uh, well, because of the economic conditions and, of course, the war in Donbass, right? The part that was first um, that requested the so-called intervention by Putin, right? That was the, the eastern Ukrainian part. So because of this war that lasted, that was going on for eight years, right? And started in 2014. So even today we have 2 million refugees because of that. Uh, but but the interesting point is that you don't always know, right? If someone is Ukrainian or not. Um, you can tell by their accent if you're really careful, but you know, you can't always tell that if they're Ukrainian or not. But it, it's estimated that there is about 2 million people have refugees from Ukraine here right now. The, the, the Eastern... Uh, regions of Ukraine with large Russian-speaking minorities, and Putin, his narrative is that he's going in there uh, yes. to prevent the persecution of the Russian minorities, in, in, and he's recognized those two breakaway areas yes. now. 
um, which is kind of it kind of echoes what Hitler did in '38 with the Sudetenland and Czech and the Czech Republic or in Czechoslovakia, yeah. right? He said, "Well, there's I, we're going in to protect the German-speaking minority in the Sudetenland." Correct. And what you need to remember about Poland uh, in 1939, you had the Soviet invasion, and what they said they are liberating. They were supposedly liberating people from the so-called Polish lords. So it's nothing new with Russia, unfortunately. They tend to do, use this MO from time to time, that they are always the good guys, essentially, right? And you need to be very careful. Yes, there are some parts uh, about Russia that are good, definitely. But you need to be careful about this narrative. For example, what happened, uh, you may not know this, but Ukraine, part of Western Ukraine, or Western Ukraine was Polish before the war in 1939, up to 1939, right? And what Russia did at some point, unofficially, uh, they said maybe you want the Western parts of Ukraine, right? So I'd be very careful now. I hope it doesn't happen that, for example, Russia could play this card again, that they might say, well, listen, we're in Ukraine now, so maybe you'd like, you know, the Western part of, of the country. I hope if it happens, I hope the Polish government doesn't fall for it, right? Because it's very, very tricky on their part. Playing on these, you know, historical divisions that you, you saw this put in speech, right? When he was talking about it at length, explaining it just to how Ukraine is not a real country. That's where it stems from, because Ukraine was controlled by, you know, the Polish Lithuanian Commonwealth for hundreds of years and for other with other countries as well. And that's why Putin has this idea that it's not a real country. Um, you, you had also talked about uh, when we corresponded earlier today about uh, Russia trying to take control of Chernobyl. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, that's when on, that's on the news right now that they're there right now. As far as I know, yeah, you can find it. Their Russian troop presence is there, right? They're present in Chernobyl right now. And what would They're be what would be the the uh, the purpose of uh, of that? I mean, Chernobyl has been mothballed and and so forth. Why would they be there? I have no idea what their purpose is. I guess they just want to secure it, or maybe they want to use it as, as leverage. I have really no idea what they want with this, because as you know, there was uh, in 1986 there was a disaster right, in Europe. Yes, I uh, connected to their Chernobyl. So um. I think they're just there, just you know, because they're advancing towards Kiev, right? That's their target, uh, essentially. So, um, uh, is it uh, is it your belief that uh, Russia will not stop with Ukraine? Perhaps next will be someplace like Moldova that he really does want to reconstruct the you know the 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 old Soviet Union. Uh, I guess it's possible. Yes, uh, given what's happening, he has definitely gone all in. It's definitely possible. The Baltic states, there was a Polish president, Kaczynski, Lech Kaczynski. He said it in 2008 with the Georgian invasion of, of uh, I mean, the Russian invasion of Georgia. He went to Tbilisi, the Georgian capital, and he said, now is Georgia, then it's Ukraine, then the Baltic states, and then maybe my country, Poland. And he said it in 2008 in Tbilisi, in Georgia. Uh, he's dead, by the way. He died in, in the plane crash of Smolensk, 2010, in Smolensk, in Russia, by the way, which is interesting in itself. So it's kind of like a prophecy like a prediction right you might say because that's what's happening now essentially adam borowski a polish english translator has a master's in international relations joins us live on the line from warsaw poland where obviously that country is on high alert because they neighbor ukraine um quickly just uh, give us a, a quick plug on your upcoming alternate reality novel adam Right. I'm still working on it, but I'm looking for a literary agent. So if there's a literary agent that would like to contact me, I'm not sure if I could give out my email. Right Go ahead, now, yes. Possible. Adam uh, dot, right, Borowski, which is B-O-R-O-W-S-K-I at, I mean, sorry, 1980, 1985 at 
gmail.com. Sorry for that. I just kind of confused uh, it. Adam.Borofsky, which is B-R-O-W-S-K-I, Adam.Borofsky, 1985 at gmail.com. Correct. Adam, thank you so much for this. Uh, Thanks, report. Richard. Thanks for this opportunity. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Cheers. Bye-bye. 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 All right. Now, when we come back, we will uh, push back against radical gender ideology. Linda Blade, co-author of Unsporting, also Cosbar's representative on women's sports. Stay with us. Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. All right, welcome back. Every Thursday, we carve out a little time to discuss radical gender ideology and radical trans activism. Linda Blade is the co-author of Unsporting, How Trans Activism and Science Denial Are Destroying Sport. She's also Cosbar's representative on women's sports. Linda, welcome back. How are you? Thank you, Richard. Doing well. So very well. Thank you. We have talked uh, quite a bit about um, the Canadian Center for for Ethics and Sports and their position on biological men who identify as female being allowed to compete against women's sports. And uh, that is their position, right? All you have to say is, I feel like a woman and you should be, according to the CCES, you should be allowed to participate or you compete against women. And then um, last November, you and I, we discussed the McDonald Laurier Institute. They kind of countered that. They held their own little uh, sort of um, online consultation. consultation. So. Uh, what did what did what was the MLI's position again, and then where are we at now? So the MLI position, Richard, is that there should remain two categories in sport. One should be a protected female category, and the other one should be the open category, which ca- can accommodate men, trans people, non-binary, anybody else. So there can be an open one and a protected one for female athletes, and that ensures one hundred percent inclusion because. Um, you know, nobody has nobody new to the category has a competitive advantage if we make the men's category open. Right, right. That seems incredibly reasonable and and, yeah. and fair because you, the, you often hear or or read on social media uh, so, uh, so a trans activist saying, "Well, you're trying to ban trans people from sports," and there's nothing further from the truth, right? It's just a question of you know what right. what what category i mean should they be allowed to compete against exactly. women or should they you know that's what's at issue here yeah. how do we make it fair and inclusive so the mli's position with donna laurier institute is you have you you protect women you have a women's category in sports and then you create an open category right okay. right and it makes sense make total sense and then uh last week february 16th the cces drops a bombshell in terms of a completely uh, unscientific but outrageous report with the grant from Sport Canada in which the, it's really quite libelous. And they basically just attack the authors of the MLI report, essentially, without really offering any, any science to back it up. Their, their report is, you know, almost 200 pages long. 100 pages of it is, almost an, is a chart that's almost empty. Um, it's just, it's unbelievable. It was so unprofessional. Uh, it was an embarrassing report. And now they're, they're so embarrassed by it. I think somebody jumped the gun, Richard, and, and released it too early. Uh, maybe I'm thinking 
maybe in a panic to get the report out to support the Leah Thomas thing at the Ivy League. I don't know. But somehow it got released. And now they're so embarrassed by this report. Now they're trying to hide it and they pulled it offline. And so basically they're now hiding the fact that they wrote this terrible report without any consultation with women like myself or Olympian Allison side or anybody who's gender critical, Richard, they won't consult with us. They just start making all these policies that don't make any sense and, and writing stupid things. So this was supposed to be the CCES's, I guess, counter to the McDonnell Laurier Institute's. Yeah, um, presumably. And, and, and yet the, uh, it was supposed to be sort of a scientific report, yeah. but they didn't, yeah. in, they didn't even publish the names of the authors. Right. They won't publish. They won't tell us who wrote it. If this is not how science works, you don't hide your authors. You don't hide your evidence. You pre present your evidence. And, and some of the arguments were just unbelievable. Like, um, you know, basically one of the, one of the craziest arguments I've ever seen. Uh, they said, if a child, so a child grows between the childhood and 18 years of age, the child grows 70 centimeters on average, let's say. And then an adolescent grows from like uh, till 18 years of age is 30 centimeters. Obviously, if you're already an adolescent, you're not going to grow as much. So 70, a child grows 70 centimeters, an adolescent grows 30 centimeters to age 18. So that means when the child becomes an adult, they have a 40 centimeter advantage. So, I mean, what in the world? So by 18, they have supposed to somehow this child supposed to have a height advantage because they grew 40 centimeters more than the adolescent. What are, what are they talking about? Like this kind of thing is so unbelievably stupid. And then they said Hilton, uh, you know, Emma Hilton, who's the wonderful evolutionary biologist, developmental biologist in the UK, they're telling, they're saying she has an anti-trans agenda. Uh, she's manipulating data. She's not, they even said she's not a sports scientist. And yet, None of them that produced this article or this rebuttal are sports scientists. So what are they and talking about? Emma, Emma Hilton, the evolutionary biologist, yeah. she was one of the authors of the McDonnell Laurier Institute report, yes. which was recommending two categories, a, a category for women only, and then this open yeah. category in which trans athletes yeah. could participate. And so they went after her. Right. Yeah. And so there, and then Tommy Lumberg, who was a co-author with Emma on a different paper, but, you know, the, the fact is, is what bothers me almost more than than how well slanderous that bothers me a lot, Richard. But what bothers me more is that in the name of trans activism, our entire Canadian sports institutions like the higher, you know, the, the major institutions in Canadian sport are really just degrading themselves. They're, they're, they're just making themselves look cowardly and stupid. And it's not necessary. And even to have a grant from Sport Canada, Sport Canada is the funding agency for athletes. Give some more athletes some money if you have extra money. Don't give money to a cultish organization to, 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 to push their propaganda on us. Well, the other thing that you point out is that um, everything now, if all policy decisions in Canada have to be run through the LGBTQ secretariat. Exactly. This is uh, the problem. It, this is the root of the problem. Including Canadian sports policy. Yes. Everything has to run through mm -hmm. there. Yeah. So well, the way I picture it is think about Canadian society as a hamburger. So the bottom, the bun at the bottom is us. And then the middle, the meat and the bun on the bun are the bureaucrats. And the top bun is Trudeau and his cabinet. And somewhere between the meat where the policy is made and the top bun, Trudeau, is this little thin layer of lettuce which is the LGBTQ secretariat. And it's kind of like a filter. 
anything that we want to say for policy has to go through and be approved of the LGBTQ filter. And that doesn't matter if it's sport, doesn't matter if it's the truckers, it doesn't matter for anybody. Everything has to be with the LGBTQ lens. Uh, this is how they, they brainwash all of Canadian society. They have this secretariat that none, no policy in Canada right now can get through without going through the sieve. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. And science be damned, apparently. Linda? Apparently. Uh, uh, always appreciate your uh, your uh, input. Thank you so much. Yeah. Oh, thank you very much, Richard. Linda Blade, co-author of Unsporting, How Trans Activism and Science Denial Are Destroying Sports. She's also Cosbar's representative on women's sports. All right. Hour two awaits. Plenty of shows still to come. Uh, Drew Allen, host of the Drew Allen Show, will he- be here to talk about Russia, Ukraine. And then uh, the German health insurer is revealing some alarming underreporting of vaccine side effects. Our... Uh, a data analyst from Rubicon Capital, Kelly Brown, will be here. And uh, also, U.S. Army retired Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis with more on Russia, Ukraine. Stay with us. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Hey, Richard! Hello, yes. Can I help you? Richard! The Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Welcome back. We'll keep hammering away at the Russia-Ukraine story. Coming up a little bit later this hour, U.S. Army retired Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis will be here. He's an airborne ranger. Served in four infantry divisions on three continents. He's also the author of Give Me Liberty, Not Marxism, The Deeper State, and Alliance of Evil. And uh, he's a former uh, commentator, military uh, analyst for a number of U.S. networks, including Fox News. We always appreciate his insights. And then, uh, also this hour... Our data analyst from Rubicon Capital, Kelly Brown, the unofficial accidental COVID data analyst will be here. Interesting story about this German health insurer, German health insurance company, revealing, quote, an alarming underreporting of vaccine side effects, end quote. And if you're an insurance company, the people you insure are going to come to you in the event of some illness, disability, 
I wonder if that has anything to do with Pfizer's guidance. Uh, we talked about this with Kelly Brown last last week, I think. Pfizer offering a, a guidance to their investors that uh, the stock is likely to take a bit of a hit. Could this be connected somehow? We'll find out. All right. But uh, let's get back to Russia, Ukraine. I want to, uh, Jacob, if you're listening, I wouldn't mind. Can we play that Trump clip again? Uh, let me just set this up. So when Trump was president, he went over to uh, the NATO meetings. And of course, he was pilloried in the press and by the, uh, the progressives in the media saying, oh, he's tearing the, the, uh, the, the North Atlantic Treaty Alliance apart because Trump was taking them all to task over there in Europe. Number one, you don't pay your dues. So it's up to America. We're paying for your defense. We're defending you against the perceived enemy here, Russia. And yet, what are you doing, Germany? You're paying Russia billions of dollars for natural gas. We're, pay- you're- we're paying to protect you from Russia. Meanwhile, you're giving Putin billions of dollars for natural gas. Let's have a listen to that. I think uh, it's very sad when Germany makes a massive oil and gas deal with Russia where you're supposed to be guarding against Russia and Germany goes out and pays billions and billions of dollars a year to Russia. So we're protecting Germany, we're protecting France, we're protecting all of these countries. And then numerous of the countries go out and make a pipeline deal with Russia where they're paying billions of dollars into the coffers of Russia. So we're supposed to protect you against Russia, but they're paying billions of dollars to Russia. And I think that's very inappropriate. And the former chancellor of Germany is the head of the pipeline company that's supplying the gas. Uh, Ultimately, Germany will have almost 70% of their country controlled by Russia with natural gas. So you tell me, is that appropriate? I mean, I've been complaining about this from the time I got in. It should have never been allowed to have happened. But Germany is totally controlled by Russia because they were getting from 60 to 70 percent of their energy from Russia and a new pipeline. And you tell me if that's appropriate, because I think it's not. And I think it's a very bad thing for NATO. And I don't think it should have happened. And I think we have to talk to Germany about it. No kidding. A little late now, though. So once again, 45 was right. Uh, Here to uh, discuss... Russia, Ukraine is the host of the Drew Allen Show. He's a columnist, political analyst, our good friend, Drew Allen. Hey, Drew, how are you? Hey, Richard, how are you? It's, um, it's amazing. Every time we convene here on your, your, your wonderful show, uh, the world is in worse shape than it was the last time we spoke. Yeah, it only took uh, Burisma Biden just slightly over a year to bring America to its knees. Uh, but you know what? It's all worth it, Drew, because we don't have to put up with 45's mean tweets anymore. Yeah, I was listening to the segment there right before. You know, it's, it's amazing what a prophet uh, Donald Trump seems to have been because uh, everything he predicted and said uh, that the left, uh, you know, viciously attacked him for has, has turned out to be true. And I mean, can you imagine just for a moment uh, uh, what, what the world would have looked like had he not won the election? in 2016. Uh, this was postponed, of course, by four years. And now we're seeing what happens. But, you know, I don't want, you know, look, everyone's making the correct point that we have an incompetent vegetable in the office here. 
but but let's not I want to stray away from using the word incompetent. Yes, it's incompetence, but it's worse than that because it's intentional. OK, there's a difference in someone stupid just being in there who doesn't know what he's doing is who he, and who is making mistakes and a regime that is in the shadows behind him who is intentionally doing this because they're sycophantic to these regimes around the world like China and Russia. And, uh, and, and, and mark my words, this war is what Putin wanted, what Xi wanted, and it's what uh, the Biden regime also wanted. This could have been prevented and avoided. Uh, and even still, they're not putting the most uh, uh, serious sanctions in place to do anything about it. You know, as much as, as, as uh, Biden saying his speech was proud that he predicted this war was going to take place, he did nothing to prevent it from happening. Why does Biden want war? There are a couple things. I think, one, you have simple corruption. Uh, the Chinese have bought out the American government, including uh, Biden. And, 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 I mean, we've seen it every turn, whether it's investigating the origins of COVID or investigating the, the, the Communist Chinese Party, uh, the Democratic Party, and rhinos, too, uh, at every step has done everything they could to prevent that from taking place. Everything they've done has been to benefit China and even Russia and to harm America, uh, uh, the country they have sworn an oath to protect and defend. But there's also a globalist mentality, in my opinion. And the globalist, quite simply, believes that it's unfair that America is a predominant superpower of the world. It's unfair that we're so wealthy, affluent, and have so much influence in the world. So they want to uplift these other nations and level the playing field by knocking America down a peg or two or a hundred. And that's the gist of it. It's certainly also a convenient dis uh, distraction, uh, not only for Joe Biden, but, uh, but uh, our, our own crime minister, Justin Trudeau, uh, both are just tanking in the polls. Uh, I think the latest I saw for Joe Biden is, is around 32%. That's his approval rating, 32%. You've got just, you've got the resurrection of the old misery index, which was last seen during the Jimmy Carter era. So you've got uh, rampant inflation. Uh, you've got a, a disaster on the Southern border. Uh, you've got, uh, now you've got this situation with, um, with Russia, Ukraine, uh, but that actually might serve as kind of a, a convenient distraction for the American public. What are your, what are your thoughts? Well, you're hundred percent correct. It's, it's not even a conspiracy theory on Saturday before, uh, Russia invaded Ukraine. Uh, we sent Kamala Harris, of course, over to the Munich security conference in Germany. And she said, you know, this war is going to happen. And the, the, a reporter asked her, you know, how is this going to harm Americans? And she laid the groundwork for their strategy going forward, which was to say, you know, this is going to hurt Americans. The Russia-Ukraine conflict is certainly going to hurt us in regards to energy prices and everything else. And then I think it was um, CBS who ran an article, a propaganda piece, saying that the supply chain, the inflation, and the rising energy costs, guess what? That's going to be because of the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Forget the fact that all of this started in January of 20th. When Biden assumed office, forget the last year, but we're supposed to believe that all of this, uh, 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 all these problems in America are the result of a Russia-Ukraine, uh, uh, you know, crisis, war that took place a year after it began when Biden came into office. It's outrageous. But what I really want to know, because Biden has been predicting war, right? He's been predicting it so much, it sounded almost like he wanted this war. And... 
I want the transcript of the February 12th conversation, hour long, they said it was, between Biden and Putin. If he was so tough on Putin as he claims to, to have been, there is nothing to fear. But I think that if we could see the transcript of what took place in behind closed doors on that phone call, we would have a lot of answers about what's going on here, because I am I am I want to know if there is some uh, Putin Biden collusion going on. I want to know it. We deserve to know it. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. That's the thing. Russia uh, could easily have been kept in check, as they were during the Trump years, because Trump spent a lot of money revitalizing the U.S. Army, uh, the U.S. military. So that was a, I mean, Putin basically has two cards. He has his military and he has energy. So Trump kept uh, Putin in check militarily with the revitalization of the U.S. military. And then by um, achieving energy independence, the United States was in a position to sell excess energy to uh, Western Europe. Uh, I mean, if that had been maintained, then Germany all of a sudden has a, a lot more leverage against Russia. They could tell Putin to go fly a kite. As it stands, not only is Germany purchasing 70% of their natural gas from Putin, the United States is now importing oil, as is Canada from Putin. So we're, we're supposed to be wagging our finger at him on the one hand, and then the other, we're saying, thanks very much for the oil. It makes no sense. No, that's, that's exactly right. If you think about it, on his first day in office, Joe Biden canceled the Keystone XL pipeline, which would have uh, been a wonderful pipeline between your country and ours that would have delivered 800,000 barrels of oil a day in crude to America. But of course, he ended energy independence in America, and then he greenlit and lifted sanctions on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, which of course gave Russia leverage over Europe. They would have bypassed Ukraine completely, will bypass Ukraine completely, go underneath the Baltic Sea and deliver uh, natural gas to Europe. So it, it empowered Russia and it weakened America. And even three days ago, uh, Joe Biden's administration uh, continued their war against energy independence in America. You can't even call it that anymore. But he put in place an, a, a basically additional sanctions here in America to prevent further drilling and leases from taking place here. So he's doing everything he can to make us reliant on foreign energy uh, sources, even as we need to be independent today more than ever. Forget the fact that it's unaffordable and it's hurting Americans' pocketbooks. It's a national security issue. And what kind of administration? How do you explain somebody who is working actively 
actively to uplift our foreign adversaries and weaken us here at home. It doesn't make sense unless you look at it through the lens of a globalist or somebody who is sycophantic and bought off by the Chinese, because what you're seeing right now is a realignment happening, a new axis of evil. It's China, it's Russia, and you've got Germany too, by the way, and you have a totally split NATO, which is useless. It's always been useless, but now we're seeing it totally fractured. Italy doesn't want to put some sanctions in place because they, they want to make sure that their, you know, their, their fashion industry can continue to make money exporting to, to Russia right now. You know, the Germans, I mean, diamond industry, all of this. I mean, this is how crazy it is. You have, a, you have, a, you have Putin literally killing Ukrainians right now and stealing that country from them. And you have these feckless NATO nations who don't want to implement sanctions because they're, they're worried it's going to hurt them. Right, my friend, uh, how do we listen to the Drew Allen show? So you can uh, you can find it on uh, Spotify, on Apple, everywhere podcasts are available. And actually, I've just started uh, uh, loading them onto Rumble now, so you can see my my beautiful face as I speak as well. Fantastic, Drew Allen, uh, A L L E N, Drew Allen. All right, until next time. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Richard. Take care. All right. When we come back. Kelly Brown from Rubicon Capital will uh, tell us about this German health insurer revealing an alarming underreporting of vaccine side effects. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Back. Just a reminder, coming up a little bit later this hour, U.S. Army retired Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis with uh, more details on the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Right now, this is potentially, not potentially, it's an explosive story. Uh, The question is, how much play will it get in the mainstream media? I guess that's a rhetorical question because we all know the answer. However, it is being reported that a large German health insurance provider revealed uh, yesterday that COVID-19 vaccine side effects are vastly underreported. Again, this is a large German health insurance provider reporting this. Here to uh, help us understand more is Kelly Brown, data analyst, Rubicon Capital. Kelly, how are you? Doing okay today. Nice to speak with you once again. How are you? Uh, I'm well, thank you. Uh, so walk us through this. This, uh, this German health insurance provider, uh, what are they actually reporting, and 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 where is who is who's who's telling us this information? Yeah, for sure. So this is uh, this was reported by a, a, a credible G- German news uh, outlet uh, reporting on a German health insurer that looked at records for 11, 11 million policyholders. There's 80 or so million people in Germany and this health insurer looked at eight, 11 million policyholders and found that 217,000 of its patients of the 11 million were treated for vaccine side effects. And they estimated that there were up to 400,000 doctor visits related to the vaccine. And they, they, so we haven't seen the, the source data here. This is what's being reported. But, um, uh, but this, this was then, which is, seems to be exceeding 
the numbers that are reported by the Ger a German health agency that's tracking the vaccine side effects by a considerable amount. Right. And so th th this this uh, agency, uh, I guess it's called the Paul Ehrlich Institute, that would be German's uh, equivalent of VAERS in the U.S., is that right? I believe so, yeah, yeah. And, it, and this is actually a, sub, a subset of the German Ministry of Health. This is an agency of the Ministry of Health, so something similar. And presumably, this insurance company in Germany was, was uh, comparing to the most appropriate database. So the comparison here, so what happened was, is the Paul Ehrlich Institute is reporting side effects from the vaccine of about 250,000 on the total German population of which 61 million has been vaccinated. So you have 250,000 effects from 61 million reported by the government. And this insurance company, however, finding 217,000 treatments, vaccination treatments in just 11 million patients. So what they've done is that the, uh, the insurance company has this insurance company has come up with some calculations, basically just extrapolating and saying, well, if you apply these ratios to the entire German population that's vaccinated, you may have something like two and a half to three million people that have been treated for a vaccine side effect, which is about 10 times the amount that the German health agency is reporting. Right. So uh, one in 20 doses would produce some type of an adverse reaction, according to the extrapolation from this German uh, insurance company. Do I have that right? Uh, it's, it's around there. So I, I don't have the quick math, but it's 217,000 uh, 217, on 11 million. It's about, it's, I guess it's about 2% call it. Right. They're saying that uh, if you extrapolate it out, we're looking at two and a half to 3 million people in Germany may have been under medical treatment because of vaccination side effects after COVID-19 vaccination. So yeah, that, if there are 61 million Germans that have received the vaccine, that's, uh, sorry, one in um, every 30, or, well, no, one in every 20, uh, one in every 20 if we're looking at 3 million. Yeah. Uh, and, and so again, the, the insurance company would be in a position to know this because their clients are making insurance claims based on trips to a doctor or a hospital or, or any medical uh, intervention that was required as a result of the vaccine adverse reaction. That's correct. So, so what's interesting about this data is they actually have source, they actually have claims that are coming directly uh, from doctors. And the speculation that folks around this issue are making uh, is that you know, doctors are not always going to take the time to fill out vaccine adverse events reports take some time. They don't get any money for it. It's quite a laborious task, apparently. However, of course, a doctor is going to bill for every visit he sees. And there's going to be codes. There's there's certain codes that that uh, align with facts that, that code a vaccine injury. And so the insurance company is getting that raw data. You can't it, it, can't, it can't be hidden. You know, it's out yeah. there. So in other words, the German doctors may not be reporting these adverse events to the Paul Ehrlich Institute, which tracks adverse effects, but they are re reporting them to the insurance companies. Uh, we'll take a quick uh, time out. Kelly Brown stays with us. Data analyst, Rubicon Capital, at Rubicon Capital underscore on Twitter, at Rubicon Capital underscore on Twitter. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. The Bull Session continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 a.m., 
again, this is being reported by Welt, which is a, uh, a German newspaper, I guess. After analyzing data from over 10 million individuals, the insurance company, BKK Provida. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. It's saying that over a seven and a half month period beginning in early 2021, Roughly 217,000 of their policyholders out of a total of 10.9 were treated for vaccine side effects. So 217,000 out of 10.9 million um, policyholders, which compares to 244,000 reports out of 61.4 million vaccinated Germans according to their sort of equivalent, I guess, of theirs, the Paul Ehrlich Institute. So again, if you extrapolate, the, um, the German life insurance company is saying that probably 2.5 to 3 million people in Germany have under medical treatment, have been under medical treatment because of vaccination side effects. Two and a half to three million people out of about 61 and a half million that have been vaccinated. All of a sudden, that doesn't sound like an extremely rare situation. We're told that uh, side effects from the vaccine are extremely rare. So, again, the, uh, the German insurance company is concluding that based on their data, there is a significant underreporting of vaccination side effects. Kelly Brown is uh, with us, data analyst from Rubicon Capital at Rubicon Capital underscore. Uh, I would I would imagine, uh, Kelly, that um, there would be also data available from from American insurance companies. What is, what is the likelihood that we will that this is going to open the floodgates and that we're going to start hearing from other insurance company other insurance companies around the world? Well, we are already hearing that. This is appearing to be quite a canary in the coal mine signaling something. You know, you, you can, you can, these things can go underreported in the public databases by doctors and, uh, and patients themselves. But, you know, you, you can't, it can't stay hidden for much longer. This is going to show up somewhere and it's going to show up in the insurance data. And, and sadly, frankly, we're the funeral homes businesses uh, that are recently reported that they're, they're reporting great quarters too. Um, the one thing I wanted to say about this, um, this German study just before we leave it is, is that 
this was this was put together or spearheaded appears to be by a board member of this company and they sent a letter outlining this work to the public um to to this Ehrlich Institute on Monday and gave them a timeline of Tuesday to respond to it and they apparently didn't receive a response and then went public with this yesterday that's an interesting aspect of this. Uh, so this is this. They're really trying to get this out there, and I th I think what you know they're saying, like we're seeing this, and it's much different than what's out there already, and it's got to come out. So this, Richard, getting back to your other question, I think unfortunately this is where the puck is going, and we're going to see more of this. We're we've we've actually there's a there's a a U.S. Uh, insurance company called Reinsurance Group of America that is focused on group life insurance policies. They have a business in Canada that has actually shown in the last quarter or two, they, their loss ratios ha has ticked up. Canada is a small portion of their business, but that's interesting because the Canadian life insurers are large conglomerates and you don't always get the right disclosure. You can't really dig into that in Canada, but this, there was, a, there was that in that particular company. And, um, so there, the, the fourth quarter results from all the major life insurers in the U.S. and, and globally as well, they, they all came out already and their loss ratios uh, are exceeding 100%. In other words, the claims being paid out are higher than the policy revenues being taken in in the group life insurance policies. That's a huge red flag. The idea is that with miracle vaccines and a milder, uh, virus with Omicron that, that we should not be seeing that. Um, unfortunately, this is this is I think where the puck is going. This has to be watched very closely, and I think this is going to be the headlines in the next. This this is going to be the story in the next month or two. Uh, this this just ahead of this final point on this just ahead of uh, I believe we are within days of Pfizer having to release. Uh, is it the first ten thousand pages of their data? First ten thousand pages, March first. There you go. This is uh, this is getting very, very, very interesting. Kelly, we'll uh, we'll be calling on you again. I'm sure. Thank you so much. Happy to. Kelly Brown, data analyst, Rubicon Capital at Rubicon Capital underscore at Rubicon Capital underscore. U.S. Army retired Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis is next. More on Russia, Ukraine. Stay with us. Just having a little chin wag on the Richard Serrett Show. News Talk Saga, nine sixty a.m. I don't know when that happened. The capital of Ukraine to me is Kiev, and I will continue to call it Kiev. Um, and Kiev is uh, has gone dark. And it is, uh, I guess, under a curfew, understandably. People have turned off their lights, closed their curtains. And uh, this is, I guess, in, in stark contrast to... Uh, sporadic explosions and air raid sirens that were heard throughout the city earlier today. There's state border guard in Ukraine saying the uh, an island south of the country's coast has fallen into Russian hands. And um, we've had reports of uh, artillery rockets fired toward Ukraine, outgoing artillery barrages from Russian troops south of Belgorod in uh, in Russia near the final checkpoint point towards Ukraine and a highway that leads to the Ukrainian city of Kharkiv. 
Here with uh, with more on this dire situation, U.S. Army retired Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis. Bob, welcome back. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you, Richard. Uh, does it does it appear at this point whether there are there are any uh, are, are massive civilian casualties or is uh, are the Russian forces targeting mainly military uh, positions? Well, certainly that's been the the initial effort. Um, you know, that and the government, uh, they've knocked out at least uh, 10 airfields. Uh, they've gone after military installations. All the air defense is out, most of certainly the radar. Uh, and then, of course, the Ukrainians don't have much of anything left except a few Stingers air defense weapons. Uh, the, the ground incursion was um, designed to do precisely that. And, of course, the misinformation or what we call psychological operations called for the soldiers to surrender, but at least at this point, it doesn't appear as if you have any mass desertion by the Ukrainian forces. In fact, there have been some pretty hefty fights in the east, as well as north near the Chernobyl power plant that apparently now is in Russian hands. How would the Russians feel the need to take uh, control of uh, Chernobyl, the, the site of that horrible nuclear accident back in 1986, I guess it was? Well, fair question. It's not very clear. Uh, I do believe that they want to control any energy source and especially any any electrical grid, uh, which they would shut down if you know they get into a a really a dust up in especially Kiev. And of course, Chernobyl's right north of Kiev, and it would appear as if the center of gravity of what is happening, the three lines of advance that the Russians are using all target Kiev. They're coming from Crimea, uh, from the east in the uh, certainly Luhansk and Donetsk region, and of course down from Belarus. Uh, they will probably encircle Kiev, which uh, under normal circumstances has, what, 2.8 million people. Uh, a lot of them have jammed the traffic and the highways going to Poland, uh, but there's a lot of people still left. And you know, some of them, uh, from the reports I've seen, Richard, uh, are ready to fight, and they're not going to surrender their country. Has, uh, has Putin given any indication that, that he would show any sort of discretion in terms of targeting civilians? No, I don't think so. Uh, you know, just today, you saw uh, demonstrations, protests pop up in his own country, and they were quickly quashed by uh, their own local police. And so uh, if he's not going to tolerate dissent internally, uh, certainly uh, there's no evidence he'll tolerate dissent uh, in Ukraine. So uh, unfortunately, I, I don't think so. He's, he's going back to his old KGB days and yeah, perhaps the one thing I agree with Mr. Biden is that Putin is a killer. Uh, there were reports that uh, that uh, Putin had offered the Ukrainian president terms of surrender. If you surrender uh, and, and and promise neutrality um, and to be and, and allow us to demilitarize you, then they you know he would suspend this invasion. Uh, do you know anything more about that? Is it true? What are your thoughts? No, I, th that's quite possible because uh, in his speech last night before this you know, so-called special military operation began, Putin called for uh, the demilitarization of Ukraine 
and what he called the denazify Ukraine, which meant you know, to replace the government that he considers fascist and put in his own puppet so that, you know, Ukraine really falls back under the, you know, the Federation, the Russian Federation. Uh, I have no real solid evidence that he was given that bargain, but obviously at this point it's not been accepted. Uh, Bob, we'll take a quick time out, come back and discuss further. Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis, U.S. Army retired, stays with us, the author of Give Me Liberty, Not Marxism. The Deeper State and Alliance of Evil, all available at Amazon. Back with more of our conversation in three minutes. Stay with us. Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. West Army retired Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis stays with us. Airborne Ranger, Infantry Officer, service in four infantry divisions on three continents. The author of Give Me Liberty, Not Marxism, The Deeper State, and alliance of evil. Uh, at this point, it it doesn't sound as if U.S. and Europe are are going to uh, use, I guess, what they call the nuclear option, and that is oust Russia from SWIFT. Can you can you explain what what SWIFT is and why that's considered a nuclear option, and and your thoughts on whether they should, in fact, kick Russia out of SWIFT? Uh, Society for Worldwide Internet or interbank uh, financial telecommunications, if you want to do uh, transactions uh, at a, a fairly uh, high level across the world, you, you really need the SWIFT access. And Mo- denying Moscow uh, that access will deny it really from you know, participating in international commerce, um, much like uh, pulling the rug on the major banks and the opportunity to refinance uh, activities uh, that Russia wants to do. So uh, it's it's a major pull. Why in the world they haven't gone that far? Perhaps they're holding that back, uh, in, hoping that uh, that would be the final blow if, in fact, this uh, assault continues, which I fully expect it will. It's kind of ironic that in Canada, they're not shy about freezing the bank accounts of people that disagree with the government politically, protesters. Uh, they'll do that to Canadian citizens, freeze their bank accounts, but they wouldn't consider doing something somewhat similar to the aggressor in this situation. Um, the um, Earlier, uh, Bob, I played a clip from Donald Trump, and he was speaking at a NATO meeting when he was president, and he was pilloried in the press for this because he was taking NATO to task for the fact that America was was paying the bill for NATO. And uh, meanwhile, uh, Germany was uh, was paying Russia for uh, natural gas because Russia or Germany has mothballed their nuclear plants. They've shut down all their diesel generated power plants because I guess they've outsourced their their um, their energy uh, policy and their foreign affairs to uh, Greta Thunberg. Um, and so now Germany has zero leverage against Russia. Um, Trump was pretty prescient on that, wasn't he? Well, he was. And you know, Germany today is a, a real shadow of militarily of what it was during the Cold War when I spent years uh, working with the German army. They, they had hundreds and hundreds of tanks. Now they're down to under 100, as I recall. Uh, and, you know, their, their real offensive capability is terribly diminished. Now, I think what Schultz is concerned about is that their supplies, as I understand, of natural gas is really low. And having lived in Germany a long time, just like uh, Canada, it's cold. And um, 
you know, they don't want to lose their access because in part because we here in North America, thanks to Mr. Biden, decided to uh, really cut back on energy exploration. And we were an energy exporter, as Mr. Trump would tell you. Uh, but now we're energy importer, which some of which comes from Russia. And Canada as well. Uh, I mean, we are. We have the third largest oil reserves in the world. We, uh, we should be we should be producing natural gas and exporting it to Europe, uh, and freeing Western Europe and Germany from their dependence on on Russia. But likewise, we've shut down our. Uh, we're not building pipelines. We have no capacity to ship natural gas from either the east or west coast. So, uh, I mean, can we lay some of this blame at, at these misguided? Uh, green energy um, uh, advocates. No doubt. And uh, I think uh, historians will not treat this administration or your government uh, kindly uh, because they've invited uh, these miscreants uh, in Moscow and all by association in Beijing and to do uh, their nasty business around the world. And, and unfortunately, Richard, it's not, it's not going to end. I, I don't think that... Now, Vladimir Putin is going to be satisfied until he resurrects most of what he had as the Warsaw Pact, uh, which, of course, is all those countries uh, from Bulgaria all the way up to the Baltics. If I were in the Baltics this evening, I would be looking east and very concerned about that. And Poland, I know that they're very concerned because all the immigrants uh, rushing out of Ukraine are coming into Poland and then they're looking up to the Belarus and, and likely Belarus is going to, under Lushenko, uh, is going to become a part of the Russian Federation. So uh, Putin is driving a very hard bargain here. And unfortunately, I think the West... Uh, isn't going to be pushing back enough, and the sanctions are going to take a while. And before they take true effect, uh, Putin will have accomplished much of what he wants. Uh, what would you? What would the, the next easiest target be? Someplace like Moldova? Absolutely, Moldova already has a regiment of Russians there. All they have to do is uh, you know, do a, a 180, and then take the rest of that small country. So I think Moldova is is cooked uh, now. Uh, if I were in, like I say, Pol Poland, um, I know that we're rushing uh, efforts and troops and so forth, 7,000 more over there, uh, but that's not nearly enough. If you're going to recognize that Putin hasn't even deployed a half of the battalions that are arrayed around Ukraine right now. And so even though he has tried to limit, I think, the destruction going in, uh, hoping perhaps that uh, Zelensky and the government will abandon um, their hold of Kiev, um, it would appear as if uh, they aren't. And as a result, we'll see more bloodshed in the coming days. Site, should the United States have negotiated with Putin uh, and guaranteed there would be no uh, NATO weaponry in Ukraine, that Ukraine would not be part of NATO? Well, I don't know if the U.S. needed to do that. Macron and Schultz already told Putin that, you know, they wouldn't vote for it. So uh, I, th I think Putin, you know, wasn't satisfied that uh, Ukraine would never become a member of NATO. It was far more than that. Uh, if you listen to a speech last night from Putin, you know, he was using some very um, 
almost prophetic and historic terms that were laced in his long one-hour speech. He made it very clear. Uh, he doesn't believe Ukraine is a sovereign country. And if you probably had pressed him last night, he would have said, all those countries from Bulgaria up to the Baltics aren't sovereign countries either. They're just part of what the U.S. and the West uh, made them after World War II. So he, he really upset about the, the whole you know, being cut out of the security infrastructure. And now uh, he wants to return to what I would consider a new Cold War. A last question. Uh, and that is, um, what should, what should the, the, the response right now be from NATO and the United States? Well, they've already boxed themselves in, Richard. That's, that's part of the problem. They've said no troops in Ukraine. Okay. Uh, they need to have something like a, a Berlin airlift that we did many years ago to save that uh, important city you know, to the border of Poland and push as much military hardware and humanitarian aid as we can to help that country uh, to fight back. I, I don't think they have long periods of time to sustain a fight against the Russians. The Russians will continue and will probably be victorious because they outgun the, the Ukrainians and their numbers are very significant. Although they're, the, the numbers of 190,000 is roughly less than what the Ukrainians have, but the training level is significantly different. I continue to watch this with uh, interest, obviously. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Richard. U.S. Army retired Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis, and he is the author of Give Me Liberty, Not Marxism. That's a good read. I've read it myself. The Deeper State Alliance of Evil, Amazon.com. All right. That's it for me. My thanks to Jody, Jacob, Brandon, Declan. I'll be back tomorrow to do it all over again, God willing. Be well. Find joy. Hold fast. Be kind, but push back. I'll speak with you tomorrow at four. Don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken. That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you tomorrow afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960am. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.